You know what, folks? Stress may be why you can't lose weight. If you've got moderate to high stress like I do, a doctor-formulated weight loss supplement called Lean could be your solution. Chronic stress wreaks havoc on blood sugar, which can cause your body to store excess fat. Stress can also slow your metabolism, which fuels weight gain. And you know all about stress eating and sugar cravings, right? Now the good news. The studied ingredients in Lean have been shown to help maintain healthy blood sugar levels, help optimize metabolism, and keep your appetite under control. Now, if your life is a bit stressful like mine and you want to lose weight, add Lean to your healthy diet and exercise lifestyle. Now get 15% off and free shipping at takelean.com. That's takelean.com and enter the promo code justnews15. That's the promo code justnews15 at takelean.com. One more time, takelean.com. Statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and it's not a substitute or alternative for care from a healthcare provider. Hello, America, and happy Tuesday. We're still coming up from the smoke of the fourth indictment. This one, a very lengthy, long, narrative-style telling indictment, they call these things, speaking indictment in Georgia by Fonnie Willis against President Trump and 18 of his cohorts, many of his lawyers, Rudy Giuliani, Jenny Ellis, John Eastman, the chief of staff to the White House, Mark Meadows, and so many others. It is a remarkable document because it treats a political effort as though it were a racketeering conspiracy, a criminal enterprise. A lot of people still absorbing the enormity of that leap and whether the law supports it and whatever the case is, if this indictment is to stand, everyone in the indictment charged with racketeering faces a minimum of five years in prison to try to just express their opinion about the 2020 election. It's actually quite remarkable. A lot of people have not fully integrated that idea yet or processed it in a way to appreciate what's going on. We've got a great lineup for you today. Alan Dershowitz, Harvard Law Professor Emeritus, author of the book, Get Trump, one of the most learned legal scholars in the world, let alone the United States. Uh, He's going to join us to give us his thought. Back in 2000, he was part of the Democratic legal team that fought for Al Gore to try to overturn the election of George W. Bush, the Bush v. Gore case. I wonder if he would have been prosecuted under this standard. We're going to ask Alan, about that in the in the front of the show. I think it's going to be a great, great thing. And then the second block of the show, a Georgia State Assemblywoman, Misha Maynard. Misha Maynard. She is the Democrat who jumped to the Republican Party a couple months ago. She's going to describe the process that she went through to make the decision to become a Republican after being a lifelong Democrat. That's very powerful. And then we're going to end up with a conversation that Amanda and I had with the superintendent of public instruction from Oklahoma, Ryan Walters. Now, Oklahoma's doing a lot of interesting stuff, school choice, portability, cracking down on CRT, taking on the teachers union. But Ryan Walters has a warning sign. It is based on some research he did on the Tulsa school district under his supervision and the infusion of money from Chinese interests, including the Confucius Institute. He says that Chinese interests are funding and teachers, American teachers unions are pushing an agenda that's anti-American and dangerous to our children. You're not going to want to miss what Superintendent Walters has to say. It's a very, very powerful interview. So we've got a great show for you. Uh, We really do. There's not much I can say that brings any more clearness to the Georgia indictment. I think you got to read it. I think you got to listen to the legal experts. We've got to sort through issues big and small. But I do think that It's quite a moment to absorb. Just think about this. President Trump could face seven trials in the next year based on all of the actions that Democrats have taken against him. Uh, Hundreds of years, centuries of years in prison. I think a lot of people are still saying, well, is that what we do in this country? We take our opposition leader and do that? I guess that's something we'll all have to think about. Now, before we go to break, you know I'm a big Second Amendment fan. I believe in the safe administration of firearms. Firearms are a good thing but also everything you can do to be safe. Keep them locked. Make clear the status of a gun so it's easily identifiable. That last one is so important. Why? Because 27,000 people a year end up going to a hospital emergency room from some 
unintended firearm injury, meaning not an intentional shooting, but an accidental, something accidental. And so my good friends at Muzzlestick, they want to save lives. Muzzlestick is helping gun owners practice gun safety with their big, brightly colored chamber flags and barrel flags. They make those so that you can identify whether a firearm is safe, whether it's armed, a very quick and simple visual cue so that anyone in your family, when they open up a gun locker or a gun box, they know the status of the gun. Sometimes you have to leave your gun loaded for a reason. Why not have a muzzle stick flag in there to let you know the status of it? Or if it's not loaded, to let the status of it. This is a really unique product. And as someone who cares about safety, it doesn't slow you down. This is going to be something that's going to take a lot of time in case you need to use a gun in an emergency. But it is a great idea to have this. Muzzle stick offers firearms owners rapid, clear identification of their firearm, which could result in saved lives. After all, we only have one life. Can you ever take too many safety precautions? I don't want a shortcut on safety precautions with firearms, cars, or anything. Be safe. Take one extra step with muzzle stick and always know the status of your firearm when in use. All you got to do is visit muzzlestick, M-U-Z-L-S-T-I-K.com. That's muzzlestick, M-U-Z-L-S-T-I-K. T-I-K.com to purchase your flag today. All right, we'll take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Alan Dershowitz breaks down the fourth of four indictments against Donald Trump. This one in Georgia, a racketeering indictment. It's a lot to absorb. We'll have that with the great Alan Dershowitz right after these next messages. Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of Pay up letters. Millions, I say. Then it's up to the 20,000 new IRS enforcement agents to find you. Why the IRS targets you and not millionaires? Well, because millionaires have tax lawyers. You don't. You'll pay up. Plus interest and penalties. You need Tax Network USA, and you need them now. Tax Network USA has brilliant war room strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. Like a preferred direct line to the IRS, they know which agents to deal with and who to avoid. It's not all bad news for you because Tax Network USA learned of a special limited time IRS offer. They're willing to waive $1 billion in penalties if you qualify. So schedule your free confidential consultation to see if you qualify for this limited time IRS penalty canceling offer. To do so, call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit tnusa.com slash justnews. That's tnusa.com slash justnews. Hey, folks, if you're a homeowner and you're like me, you want to protect your home, right? But when's the last time you checked on the title to your home? If you never have, listen to this. A new report on homeowners shows we all now have $16 trillion in equity. That's an all-time high in America. That's why you need protection from a scam the FBI calls house stealing. That's when the equity in all of our homes is the target, sadly, of scammers. If nobody's watching the title to your home, these scammers can transfer your title to their name, take out loans, and your equity could be gone. Poof, gone. You have to protect your equity from this despicable crime right now with triple lock protection from my good friends at HomeTitleLock.com. The first step is to check on your home's title to see if it's still in your name. Sign up with your address at HomeTitleLock.com and be sure to use the promo code JUSTNEWS. They're going to send you a complete title scan of your home's title and your first 30 days of triple lock home title protection. That's legendary protection, by the way. It's free. HomeTitleLock.com. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS. One more time. Go to HomeTitleLock.com today and protect your most important asset, the equity in your home. All right, folks, welcome back for the commercial break. So much to digest from the historic indictment last night in Georgia. I want to bring in one of the greatest legal minds there are anywhere in the world. Joining us right now, Harvard Law Professor Alan Dershowitz. Alan, welcome back. A lot to think about this indictment, don't you? Well, a lot to think about, but of course, I predicted it in my book, Get Trump. I predicted all four of the indictments. Uh, In fact, I think it was Mark Levin who called me the legal Nostradamus because I've gotten all my predictions correct. (laughs) You have. I predicted that Hunter Biden's. Um, plea deal would be thrown out. Yeah. Uh, this is a tough case because, you know, RICO sounds like it's a racketeering case. It's right. the first time, to my knowledge, that RICO has been used precisely in this manner to criminalize what are election challenges. You know, when I read the indictment, I said to myself, oh, my God, I did some of those things during Bush versus Gore. Yeah. I did everything possible to try to get a recount. 
I called people and I said, look, it's only 600 votes. Uh, can't, can't we, can't we find 600 votes that were not properly counted? Uh, Larry Tribe, my colleague, wrote memorandum talking about alternate electors. I mean, my God, this RICO indictment could have been applied to us Democrats who uh, challenged uh, the Bush versus Gore election in Florida. It could have been used against Thomas Jefferson in 1800. It could have been used in the Tilden Hayes election. It could have been used against John F. Kennedy's people in, in, in Hawaii. Election challenges are a, a central part of America. And we want to keep challenges in the court and in Congress. We want to keep them off the streets. We don't want to become Ecuador, where if you don't like a presidential candidate, you shoot him. We want these things to be resolved the way the Trump people wanted them resolved in the state legislatures, in Congress, in the courts. That's what the Constitution mandates. Yeah, no, it really is remarkable to see the court system try to substitute itself for the judgment of the American voter. When you look at this, do you see anything in here that you think prosecutors could succeed at or that, you know, you say, oh, that's a that's a pretty good case, that particular act or that particular charge? Or does everything feel like an effort to regulate political speech? Well, it is an effort to regulate political speech and political actions. But if they can demonstrate that any particular one of the defendants knew full well that the election was fair and told people, oh, this is a fair election. I'm just doing this because we want to put Trump back in the White House. We know that uh, that Biden was fairly elected. If they can prove that, they can probably get that particular defendant. Now, one of the big issues is what if they can prove it against some but not all? Yeah. Uh, what about the defendants who actually honestly believe that the election was stolen. So it's going to be a very complicated case. I'll make one prediction, which I guarantee will be correct. The prosecutor said this case will be tried within six months. Yeah. No, it won't. Yeah. It won't even be finished with motions by the end of six months. I, if this I case agree. gets tried before the election, it would be a miracle. But they're going to try to put it before the election because they want a conviction. They don't care as much about losing on appeal That's after right. the election is over. Yeah, that's a really great point. When you look at what's setting up, Donald Trump, if Georgia were to get its way, and I think you're right, it's not going to happen next year. But if it was to get away, there would be seven trials that Donald Trump would have to face between now and Election Day. Seven trials, seven different legal assaults from yeah. all over the system. How do you think everyday Americans, never mind legal experts, are looking at this assault? Well, I think a lot of people are saying, my God, we never thought that uh, uh, election challenges and challenges to uh, a woman who may have falsely accused would end up criminal prosecution. That's just not the way the American system is operating. Now, in four of the cases, he's going to have to be in court. Criminal right. cases, you don't have any option. That's right. In civil cases, he can leave it to his lawyers. But even so, he may have to testify or he may have to be here when somebody is cross-examined. Um, and so, you know, whether it's intended as election interference or not, it is election interference. It means that one candidate can campaign all he wants and the other candidate is going to be in court. And uh, that's just not a fair election. When you look at one of the things we know is federal law does allow an office holder or a government official, federal government official, to request that any state charges be moved to federal court. That got turned down in New York because most of the behavior in New York dealt with President Trump before he was president. In this case, though, these are all actions he clearly was taking while he was the elected right. president of the United States. Do you expect a motion and do you think it will succeed to move it out of Fulton County and into federal court? I have no doubt there will be a motion and I have little doubt that it will fail, at least at the trial level. But the question then is, can it be appealed? And can it be appealed not only in the state courts, but can it be appealed in the federal courts? Yeah. And uh, again, uh, timing is everything. And so I think the Trump team and the Giuliani team, whoever are the lawyers, and, you know, these lawyers are going to be afraid. Uh, That's right. The 65 project is going to come after all of them. Yep. They're going to try to get them disbarred and disciplined. I objected against the 65 project. What do you think they did? They filed the bar complaint against me. Uh, they are just uh, completely irresponsible. Yeah. And uh, but they're they're chasing lawyers away. And. Um, I know Rudy Giuliani has really, really good lawyers in, in New York, sure and they will make every possible challenge uh, to this, and, um, and so will Donald Trump's lawyers. Um, so uh, I can't predict 
accurately when whether a motion would be granted. I would have to look at the facts much right. more closely. But the motion will be made, and it's a serious one. Yeah, that's what I think a lot of people are thinking today. When you look out, the effort here is to really, when you look at all the lawyers that are charged, many of them who are just simply giving advice to the president, I think there's five or six lawyers that were functioning as lawyers when they were making advice and now they're being charged for it. Is this a dangerous place to be for clients being able to get honest advice from their lawyers? Because it looks like we're criminalizing conversations between client and lawyer. There's no question about that. And it started when the judge in the District of Columbia held that conversations between Trump and his lawyers were not covered by the lawyer-client privilege. He was, she was, the judge was dead wrong on that. I've been right. teaching legal ethics at Harvard for many, many, many years. And, you know, most conversations between lawyers and clients involve the lawyer maybe uh, advising the client not to do something the client wants to do, right. the client admitting maybe he committed a crime or saying he would like to do something. He, Gee, wouldn't it be good if I went to Brazil? No, it wouldn't be good if you went to Brazil. That client, that conversation should be privileged. And the judge in that case ruled no, and uh, the courts have affirmed that. I think that's a big mistake. I think a lot of lawyers are going to be reluctant to take cases now. Uh, I know four lawyers who told me that they were asked by the Trump people to represent Trump. This is weeks ago. And they all said no, they didn't want to be Dershowitz. They didn't want to be treated uh, the way I've been treated, both by my community and my synagogue, my library. And also a bar complaint filed against me. It's cost me thousands and thousands of dollars uh, to defend against a, a bar complaint, which is uh, absurd on its face. Yeah. yeah. I want to ask about the famous conversation that Donald Trump had with the Raffsenberger office, the Secretary of State. The transcript's a little it's, different. It's, it's the most exculpatory piece of That's evidence right. to Donald Trump. Yeah. <clears throat> it's clear evidence of innocence. You listen to that conversation from beginning to end, and you read the transcript, and it's clear what he was doing. He wasn't yeah. saying manufacture, make up, concoct right. votes. He was saying there are votes out there that haven't been counted. Yeah. We have to find those votes. Yeah. That's what I said <clears throat> in Florida in 2000. Yeah. We can find 600 votes, the butterfly ballots, the hanging chads. Come on, let's get to work. Let's find 600 votes and turn this election over to Al Gore. Yeah. I didn't do anything wrong, and certainly he didn't do anything wrong in this conversation. There may be more that we don't know about, but based on the conversation, I've said from the beginning, I said yeah. it in my book, Get Trump, that that conversation itself is exculpatory, not, not incriminating. Yeah. It keeps getting reported that Trump pressured Raffsenberger to find the 11,780 votes because it's a very specific number. But the actual words are different. He keeps saying, I just want to find. I just want to do yeah. I'm looking yeah, There's for no it. evidence of pressure. And what pressure could he put on yeah. him, a state elected official? Right. It's a stretch. It's a stretch. Yeah. I mean, I think all the people in Bush versus Gore were saying, come on, you got to do this. It's your job. It's your duty. It defends the Constitution. Was that pressure? I don't know. I mean, lawyers put pressure on people. That's what we do. Yeah. Uh, but I don't see this as a crime. And John, I have to get off the phone now, unfortunately. All right, but, sir. Uh, Good to have you always on. Always a pleasure. Yeah, always a pleasure here. to have you on. You always ask the best questions. Thank All you. All right. Thank you, sir. All right, folks, don't go anywhere. When we come back, a very candid conversation with a political leader who made a momentous decision to move from being a lifelong Democrat to a Republican State Assemblywoman or State Representative Misha Maynard of Georgia is going to join us next. It's a very good conversation. We had it a couple of days ago. I want to play it for you in its entirety. A lot of thoughtfulness about what went into Representative Maynard's decisions. You're not going to want to miss that. All right, folks, as we draw near to another critical election, it's not only about casting your vote. It's about elevating your voice, making your voice be heard. AMAC is more than just a senior discount organization. They unite like-minded patriots like you and I, committed to preserving our cherished values and actively opposing the leftist agenda that's sweeping across America. Just look at their recent victories. AMAC members helped to push forward an investigation into practices that inflate drug prices. They successfully defeated ranked choice voting in order to protect traditional voting methods, and they also helped block a federal takeover of elections. As AMAC's membership grows, Washington is listening. Every new member strengthens this movement. If you love America, visit AMAC, AMAC.us slash Just News to become a four-year member for just 
$30. That's a great discount. AMAC is not only better for America, it's better for you. Membership gives you access to the AMAC magazine, free social security and Medicare guidance, money-saving discounts, trusted news, sweepstakes, and so much more. It's a community, not a service. Take advantage of our election year sale, four years for just $30 at AMAC. By joining over 2 million Americans, they can't ignore your voice in Washington anymore. Join now at AMAC, AMAC.us slash Just News. That's AMAC.us forward slash Just News. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. Over the weekend, we had a really fun story just taking a look at the large number of Democrats who have switched parties either to independent or Republican over the last couple of years, really since the Joe Biden presidency began. Some really big names and another one thinking of doing it right now, Joe Manchin, acknowledging candidly last week it's on the table for him. He's seriously considering it. Tulsi Gabbard, lots of state lawmakers all across this country. One that I think caught a lot of people by surprise earlier this year is Georgia State Representative Misha Maynard. She switched parties over, I think it was in the spring, summertime, really created a wave in Georgia very consequential decision. When a politician goes through this, when a political leader goes through this, there's a lot of different pressure points that maybe the media and the public don't see. And so I thought it'd be really fun to bring Representative Maynard on, onto the podcast today and to go through the decision. What what went into it? What what was the, really the pressure points that created this? So we're very lucky to be joined right now by Georgia State Representative Misha Maynard. Representative, great to have you on the show today. Thank you for having me, John. Um, thank you for inviting me. This is great. It is an honor to have you on. I have been looking forward to this conversation for quite some time because I think a lot of people think, oh, these are very visceral decisions. These are these are very momentary decisions. This is something I know you thought about for a long time. And I think a lot of people don't understand that from a policy perspective, you didn't feel at home in the Democratic any part. Talk about policy being such an important part of the decision that you made. So, you know, I've been a Democrat my entire life. All of my family are Democrats, as far as I know. My friend base is kind of mixed. Going into politics as a Democrat, I had an agenda to help my community. Half of my community are underserved, marginalized um, communities. What I noticed over the past three years is every policy that I was putting forward to help the community my Democrat colleagues were trying to sabotage the bills. So I started trying to figure out, okay, is it me or is it them? And for a long time, I thought it was them, meaning they need to change. I don't need to change. And it wasn't until really shortly before making this decision, um, a little over a month ago, that I said, okay, they don't support school choice. Most of the schools in my district are failing. They want to defund the police. They want to put systems above people. Maybe I am not the Democrat. Maybe I am the problem. And maybe I just align more with the Republican policies because those are the policies that are actually positively impacting the community. And that's kind of how this all started. Isn't that fascinating? And obviously, you're looking to your constituents and you want to make a difference for them. You want something that's going to make life better. There are a lot of communities that are struggling, not only just with inflation, but with, you know, chronic school failure, chronic inability to attract employers to certain districts. The policies that you've seen come out of the Democratic Party just weren't resonating or making a difference for your own constituents, right? Not only were they not making a difference, they were literally sabotaging the community. There's one example I can give you. It was House Bill 1331. It was a bill that would put $60 million or so into technical colleges for workforce development opportunities for people in rural areas or just in urban marginalized communities. The Democrat Party was so against this bill that they engaged the labor union 
And the labor union then went on social media attacking me because they said the $60 million needs to stay with the Department of Labor that has no workforce development um, programming. That seems simple, um, but it's not. You know, the question is, why do you not want to put $60 million into the hands of the people that are actually working with the people versus keep the $60 million in a, in a bureaucratic department? That's just one example. Yeah, no, it makes you scratch your head. It really does. And I think so many people, I, when I leave Washington, D.C. and I go around the country to talk or do some reporting, when I, I keep hearing, why can't we just have common sense in Washington? Why can't we have common sense in the state houses? There is, I think, so many things that people just apply the common sense test to and go, well, that doesn't make sense. I mean, I know you could tell me this and that. Illegal immigration seems to be one of those. And I, I know you have had... Uh, I think it was a couple of weeks ago I saw this uh, tweet and I, I, a lot of people reacted to it saying, that's exactly right. Illegal immigration is not a humanitarian way to come into the country. In fact, it may be the most inhumane way because the drug cartels now control that process. How do Democrats continue to sell that policy? And do you think most Americans realize that this is not the best way to bring people to this great country? I think a lot of Americans agree. The problem with the, you know, it, you know, I've been a Democrat a long time. I have many friends that are Democrats. So it actually is hard for me to say that the Democrats are doing things wrong because I was affiliated with them for so long. But they just have it wrong. Um, they're not listening to the people. They're listening to a group of people that are creating an agenda that supports their own personal agenda, not the agenda of the actual American people. So I definitely do not support illegal immigration. I was just came from a meeting and we were talking about this with the community group. There are people in some communities where they literally are living outside of an apartment building, sleeping on a sofa because there aren't enough beds inside the apartment building. But yet we want to send a billion dollars to the border, put people up in hotels. We're not even taking care of our own people. Um, you have to take care of home before you can take care of others. That's a very common sense thing. It's not it's not preached in Washington these days, but that is such a common sense thing. Charity starts at home. And if you can't run your own house, well, why allow other pressures, both financial commitments and human commitments, to take precedent when you haven't even taken care of that. It really is pretty remarkable that such a simple argument doesn't resonate with a large part of the the liberal base right now. There are a lot of things you're doing right now, and, and I, I've been fascinated by this. I'm, I'm a policy junkie, and so I love when someone takes the lead in trying to create ideas and, and generate ideas for solutions. A lot of Washington isn't focused on solutions right now. It's focused on recriminations and disputes and, and arm wrestling. But you're going around really having the sort of conversation that I think a lot of urban communities have been begging for a long time, which is, we know what's wrong. How do we fix it? What are some of the ideas that are bubbling up from those in conversations that you've been having? The main thing is right now, a lot of schools, um, some of the schools in my district, 97, 98% of the kids are not meeting proficiency. That's in math and in reading. So when you think about only 2 to 3% of students in a school are at level. I didn't say they were above level. I just said that they were at level. Um, that means the vast majority of those kids are being passed grade to grade without being able to read or perform simple math. People are graduating that cannot perform simple math. Teachers are resigning, sending in resignation letters saying, I can no longer be a part of a system where I'm telling a child they have the capability and capacity to go to college and succeed. And what they're finding out is once those kids go to college, because the system has lied to them and said that they're prepared, they take out loans and they're taking remedial classes that they still can't perform in. And so they end up dropping out of college and now they're in student loan debt. Now add in artificial intelligence, chat GPT into that scenario. Goldman Sachs did a study, 300 million jobs gone to artificial intelligence in 10 years. You can't read, you can't perform simple math. Artificial intelligence has taken your job away. 
That leads to desperation. Desperation leads to crime that trickles over into many other communities. What is my proposition for that? I created something called the Fulton Technology and Energy Authority, which focuses on fourth industrial revolution jobs, meaning technology jobs, renewable energy jobs, where you don't need a high school diploma. At this point, we need to be honest and say everyone's not going to college. We need to be honest and say everybody's not going to finish high school. Let's give people some certificate-based learning where they can make livable wages. Some of these are forty, fifty thousand dollars a year. Give them a place in society to work, provide for their family, and let's move forward from there. But that was an, another um, piece of legislation that the Democrats were against. Yeah, isn't that amazing? You also have spoken out against prosecutors who are practicing a certain liberal agenda to release people, even though the impact of the community is far more severe. There's no doubt that repeatedly releasing violent offenders is going to just lead to more and more violent crime. You have kids that not only are getting a bad school, maybe not getting enough to eat at bad school. Uh, they have the danger when walking to or fro, they might get shot or killed by these really heinous criminals that keep on the streets. Is there a tipping point coming where some of these cities that have tolerated prosecutors who keep letting the bad guys back out in the street are going to face a wrecking. I know San Francisco did recently. Do you think more cities like Atlanta and others are, are going to eventually say, hey, not this is, doesn't make sense. Stop doing this. A lot of people are not aware that in this past session earlier this year, we did pass something called the prosecutor oversight bill. The media portrayed it as um, Republicans are trying to get minority district attorneys out of office. They tried to make this um, propaganda about Donald Trump and Fannie Willis. This was actually not the case. The very first bill that I voluntarily went up to a Republican with as a Democrat um, in 2021, I said, hey, I want to be a part of this prosecutor oversight bill because right now we have prosecutors that are not doing their job. They're putting their friends above communities. They're, they are abusing their oath of office um, because it is such a subjective position. Um, the prosecutor oversight bill says, okay, everybody else has oversight. Prosecutors must have oversight as well. The bill did pass. Um, and if your listeners like the policies that I'm standing for, please send them to my website, MishaMaynard.com, to support me in my efforts um, because I am fighting a system at this point. Yeah, I bet you are. I mean, making a, a decision like this has lots of consequences. And of course, the people that you've left behind in the Democratic Party seem at times to uh, to perhaps be bitter and want to exact revenge for, for taking a decision that really was, for your part, principle, right? It was based on your principles and policies that you left, not for some other political purpose. What has been the biggest surprise to you? I mean, you knew going in that this would be controversial, that there, it would create some shockwaves through Georgia politics. What has surprised you in a good and a bad way about the reaction to, to the decision you made? I've been dealing with being malaligned with the Democrats for three years, and I've been working with the Republicans for three years. So the support uh, that they have given me since this decision was well received. Um, it, I don't think that this decision surprised them um, because I was already working with them. For the Democrats, there are other Democrats that feel exactly the way I feel. Um, you just have to have a backbone to do something like this. So Democrats have reached out to me and said, look, we feel just like you. Um, you're just the first one to do it. I think what surprised me, though, I'm going to give you an example. I've received support from all over. I've also received death threats um, and a lot of hate mail, which the authorities are investigating at this point, Homeland Security. But what surprised me most, I received a letter from a 78-year-old couple in Pennsylvania, and they wrote a note to me and they said, we are 78 years old. We are retired. We do not have a lot of money. We love your position on just trying to do the right thing. 
please accept this $10 donation. And that, I, I have it in a Ziploc bag because I want to protect it and make sure I keep it safe. But it showed me that the world, right, is watching right now. People are tired of hyperpoliticism, politicism, and people want change. People have some real kitchen table needs, and no one, you know, at times no one on either side is actually listening to them. Um, that has been the most rewarding to me, to be honest with you. Yeah, far, far away from the district you represent, someone wanted to say thank you for standing for your principles. That's a, that's a pretty powerful anecdote and uh, one that I think I'll, I won't soon forget. It's really amazing. How have the, uh, con- your own constituents in your district, District 56, how have they reacted to this? When I made the announcement immediate, well, one, I had some community members to stand up there with me um, in support, but I had people email me, text me saying, we could care less what letter is next to your name. You're the only one that's been out in our community actively trying to change things. You're the only one that's holding these systems accountable. So we are still going to vote for you. I plan on running. I plan on winning. Um, I realize that this is not about me. Uh, I am, you know, the first black elected person that's a Republican in the General Assembly, but I think it's much um, bigger than that. I think that minorities in general, we think that we can only be Democrats, but that's part of the problem. Um, Minorities have been attached to one system and they receive nothing. So I hope that I can be a voice to others to say, look, try something different because what you're doing isn't working. Yeah, listen, the data's there. I mean, that's one of the most powerful things in, in your announcement and in the days after your announcement. You did such a good job painting the portrait of, of the failure of these policies, which is, I mean, maybe they're all well-intentioned, but they're not working. And so if you do have 98, 96, 95% of your kids not proficient coming out of schools, if unemployment stays the same, if the best you can aspire to do in these communities is maybe get a low check, a small check from the United States government to survive on, we're not, that's not success. And I think your ability to articulate that, I think really raised, rose well above Georgia to, I think people all across this country that are caught in similar circumstance and similar frustration. It's really been been amazing. Representative, what is the most important thing to do between now and your first reelection as a Republican? What are some of the things you're doing to help your constituents understand what you did and to put policy before party? Because I think at the end of the day, that's what drove this decision. You're concerned about the policies. Yes. Before this decision, I was a one-woman show. Um, In Georgia, we do not have staff. We have to raise money for staff. After making the announcement, I clearly recognized that I could not do this alone. So I've been um, raising money to hire staff. And so right now I'm putting a team together so we can go out into the community and not necessarily educate people on you don't need to be a Democrat, you need to be a Republican, but educating people on the policy of this is what defunding the police looks like. This is what not having choices for schools does. This is what no workforce development opportunities in your community does. So really putting the policy side by side visually so people can see um, what's best for them. And I think it, it's hard for people to choose what's not good for them, <laughs> you know, when you visually put it up there. So that is what the agenda is, is showing the message of policy, 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 and honestly raising money so we can continue to put that message out. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, the constituents are going to benefit from that sort of a conversation. There's, there's no doubt about it. Last question before I, I let you go. There's been obviously this big brouhaha brewing in Washington over Joe Biden and the family ethics and that it's a weird moment in Washington because one, obviously the Biden family stories changed a lot. We were told, don't believe any of it in 19 and 20. Now we're told to believe a lot of it, but oh, it's still okay. 
for everyday people, using the common sense test that you you apply to all of your things, when people see a vice president or his team defending the fact that he was, you know, uh, going in and helping his son's business partners by showing up on the phone, going to some of these dinners, and his son was pocketing large amounts of money off of policy decisions that, that you know, were underneath his father. How do most people view this? And is there a warning um, that the Biden White House might want to consider that its messaging is not congruent with how people view ethics in America? I would suggest people think about hypocrisy. Um, just because you are affiliated with something um, doesn't mean that it's right. You know, no one is perfect. No party is perfect. But hypocrisy is hypocrisy. And if you can find a criminal um, through technology and prosecute this person and send them to jail for the most minute things, you can find out who leaves some cocaine somewhere. You can find out many things and you have got to call things out as they are. You cannot be loyal to dishonesty because in politics, if you're, if you're loyal to dishonesty, you're hurting yourself. Yeah. And here's another thing I think I've learned in my 35 years as a reporter. You're not fooling the American people. They're pretty prescient. If you think you're pulling the wool over their eyes, you're not. And I always get amused when when I see these spinsters in, on the on the stage trying to spin something, and they're like, "Do they not know that Americans see right through that?" The American people are way smarter than I think a lot of politicians give them credit for. And I think uh, trying to tease them into something they don't believe is is, is fraught with peril. Representative, what a great honor. We've been watching your work over the last few months since that big announcement, and it's been really inspiring to see, one, how your constituents are embracing you, too, the way you've conducted yourself and explaining this and also striving for something better for the people you represent. Uh, what a great opportunity to have you on the show today. Great honor. If people want to donate to help you get staff or other things, what's the best way for them to connect with you? The best way is to go to MishaMainer.com, M-E-S-H-A. M-A-I-N-O-R, MishaMainer.com. That's pretty easy to remember. And folks, if you're inspired by what the representative has done, that's a great place to start. Representative, we're going to be sure to check in with you on this journey. It's an exciting one. And I think the eyes of the country are watching what's going on in your district, which makes it all, even all the more important beyond Georgia. A great honor to have you on today. I hope to get you back on real soon. Thank you, John. And thank you to everyone out there listening. Uh, God bless you. Great, great to talk to you. And we'll, we'll have you back soon. All right, folks. If I told you that China and Teachers Union had something in common and it wasn't good for our children, go, ah, what's that about, John? You making up something? Well, not really. The superintendent of public instruction for Oklahoma, Ryan Walter, Superintendent Walter, is going to be here next. He made some really troubling discoveries of what was going on in one of his largest school districts. Chinese Money Teachers Union, both pushing anti-American agenda, he says. We'll have that next, right after these messages. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All of us have learned so much about our school system since the pandemic struck. A lot of us, though, aren't aware yet of just how much China is influencing the U.S. academic agenda in America. Uh, our next guest, well, he sounded the alarm with a very powerful op-ed entitled, China is Paying the Piper in Our Public Schools. Joining us now is Oklahoma's Superintendent of Public Instruction. He is Ryan Walters, and he joins us now. Mr. Superintendent, great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. And it's unfortunate that we're, we're finding out new revelations just when we think that it couldn't be a worse situation in our schools. You find out information 
organization like the Chinese Communist Party is able to funnel this money into our schools. So uh, it's, it's an unfortunate topic, but this is the reality of what we're facing in our schools today. Oh, absolutely. We've had CRT and uh, all the different alphabet soup uh, ideologies are seeping in and Americans woke up to that during the pandemic and say, what's all this stuff that we're not doing this? Transgenderism. Now uh, a cash flow from uh, China and influence from China. Talk a little bit specifically about how China gets this influence and money into the education system, what you found even in Oklahoma. Right. So, so what the Chinese government did was they began funding these indoctrination programs back in the early 2000s. Right. And they would funnel money directly to our universities, colleges and K-12 institutions. The Trump administration really tightened the grip on their ability to do so. So a lot of these programs went away. Then President Biden comes into office, lessens those restrictions. And now what we see is the Chinese communist government funneling money through nonprofits to dozens of districts across the country. And we have one here in our biggest school district, Tulsa Public Schools, that takes money from, from again, the Chinese communist government, laundering it through a nonprofit out of Texas and undermining our own institutions, American history, and promoting and whitewashing the record of the Chinese communist government. It's outrageous and it's been very deliberate. Again, you notice how they have modified it. They've changed it to try to hide it from taxpayers and parents. But that's exactly what's going on here. How about that? Wow. Yeah. And I've been astounded to see the messaging coming from I'll just call them China super fans regarding these Confucius Institutes because they say, oh, it's important for American kids to learn about China and their nation and their governing bodies and their culture. But if that if that was the case, why wouldn't we have Sweden institutes or Azerbaijan institutes. What what exactly are they teaching in these schools that, that the CCP is basically funding? Yeah, well, well said, Amanda. That's exactly the pushback I hear is, oh, there's nothing to see here. There, there's nothing, you know. Oh, there's nothing to concern yourself with about these. That's absolutely false. We have already seen instances of the curriculum intentionally censoring any kind of criticism of the Chinese government. We see certain topics off limits in these courses about China. It is very intentional here. While they are instructing our students, and as we've seen over decades, the belief in our school systems to undermine American exceptionalism, undermine American greatness. You guys talked about inflation earlier and its effects on taxpayers. We undermine our capitalist system in our history classes in our schools. And now what we see is the communist Chinese government coming in and to promote communism, to show that this actually is the ideal style of government and to continue to undermine and alienate, demonize American exceptionalism. So we have come full circle here from a school system that used to teach our kids about what made America great. Not only are we not doing that, not only are we telling them America is evil, we're telling them how great China and the communist government is. <sighs> mind-boggling, but uh, I guess maybe not after all we've learned about this president. I want to turn to the ablers and enablers. Obviously, there's a Confucius Institute. That's sort of the center of this. Uh, when you get into the school districts, who become the advocates? Is it the teachers union, school administrators? Are there outside forces, parents groups? Tell us how this kind of works its way up the system from the, the money in China through the nonprofit to a school district like you had in Tulsa. Uh, you nailed it, John. It's the usual suspects. You have a teacher's union that, that cheerleads this, that defends this, that, I mean, boy, I'm telling you, they come after me for how dare you even talk about these programs. They rally together. Again, they love it. They want, they, you hear it from their national, the NEA. They want every bit of anti-Americanism funneled into our schools. They want to undermine American institutions. So the teachers union is right there. And then here's what we've got. We've got woke administrators. You know, we have an administrator there at Tulsa Public Schools that continues to push every left-wing ideology. We caught them with critical race theory in their schools. We caught them with this radical gender theory in their schools. So, of course, they're a district that pushes this as well. And by the way, John, it's no coincidence that Tulsa Public Schools is the lowest performing district in the state. They have oh. 15 school sites that have less than 5% of their kids reading proficient. Again, it's not a coincidence. When your administrators push ideology and push leftism, they neglect basic math, basic reading. And what you begin to see here is not only do you have the teachers unions and woke administrators, you also have these nonprofits where you often see George 
Soros funneling money into. It makes it tougher for taxpayers to see, well, I mean, the name of these instant, you know, the name of these nonprofits sound really good. Well, where's the money coming from? And in this instant, we found it directly from China, but we're also finding other nefarious entities that are left wing funneling money through nonprofits to try to push districts into teaching that America isn't great, critical race theory and radical gender theory. Mm. It seems that that there is a push to complete this trifecta and it is you know obviously in in the social aspect combating leftism in the governing aspect it's it's communism but then in the religious aspect uh it's atheism and that's something that they are pushing very hard for in oklahoma the saint isidore school was a news story uh that that went mainstream nationwide tell us about that situation Happy to, Amanda. You know, we are very excited and thrilled that we have the first religious charter school in the country here in Oklahoma. We believe in school choice. We believe in religious liberty. Well, again, these left-wing groups, you know, they, they sued me last week for approving this virtual charter school that actually has a religious component. And I guess, what do you know? You actually... It's illegal to tell someone they can't do something because of their religious views. Again, that's what this country was founded on. But what we've seen in our schools is state-sponsored atheism. They want any expression of faith to be pushed out. They don't want kids or teachers to be able to express their religious beliefs in any capacity. They want to take God out of our history textbooks. I mean, think about this. How do you teach we were endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights, you know, the sentence that changes the course of human events that says it's not government that gives you these rights. It's God. Well, if you take God out of that equation, how do you even understand what our founders meant, what Thomas Jefferson meant by the Declaration? But instead, what you see is a group that they want to push graphic pornography. They want to push books like Gender, Queer and Flamer. And they want to take out the Bible, the Constitution, these documents that were fundamental in our history. And so this is where we have got to fight back. We have to not only get this garbage, this left wing ideology out of our schools. We've got to go back and say, kids, you're going to understand American exceptionalism. You're going to understand the role Judeo-Christianity played in our founding. You're going to understand the difference between capitalism and socialism. You're going to understand the ills that socialism caused in our history, and you're going to understand America's principles that allowed us to be the greatest country in the history of the world. We've got to get this stuff out, but we have got to get back to our, our core fundamental principles in our education system. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Justin News. A big thank you to Alan Dershowitz, State Representative Misha Maynard, and of course, Superintendent Ryan Walters. Three big discussions about three big topics, all of them relevant to the future of our country, of the well-being of our children, the health of our constitutional republic. Really want to thank all of them for the uh, gracious time they made today. And of course, I also want to thank our sponsor, Muzzle Stick. If you want to get a flag that readily identifies the state of your gun for safety, so it's visually obvious uh, if the gun's loaded or not, and whether it's in a safe position, go visit my friends at muzzlestick.com. That's M-U-Z-L-S-I-T-K.com. And go check out this really great and safe product. I, listen, I believe in the Second Amendment. I also believe safety is such an important thing. Practice it. These guys are making one aspect of gun safety a lot easier. Go check them out today. Muzzlestick.com. All right, that wraps it up. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of John Solomon Reports. God bless you. Good night. We'll see you tomorrow. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion, Hunter Biden, and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events, and you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe.